So we started this, this study last week, Philippians, we call it gospel impact. Because once you are touched with the gospel, you understand that Jesus came as the Son of God, that he died for you, he paid the penalty for your sins— Man, it changes everything. It changes your identity. We looked at that last week in verse 1. You now have been bought. You belong to Jesus. You are, you are a bondservant of His. He has you in the hollow of His hand. Secondly, you have been made a saint. You have been made holy. You have been set apart for His service. And now today in verse 2. Man, I, I've been so blessed thinking about this. The idea of God's provision. It's a verse that quite honestly, Paul opens a lot of his books. In fact, I think seven of them with this same idea. Grace and peace. But what a great. So let's pick it up. Verse 1. We'll read it together. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about grace, Paul's writing this letter. We talked about it last week. It's a very personal letter, a very familial letter. And, and you know, if you were to go and to pick up one of those rope holder uh, letters and you were to write one of our missionaries, you would start with the introduction, dear so-and-so. And typically in our letters, you would say kind of a little bit of a blessing. I hope you are doing well or something like that to get that off. And that's, that's how they would do letters there. But Paul actually changes the Greek word that they would typically typically used to the word charis, charis, which means grace. Grace has the idea of favor, blessing. And of course, we know at the heart of it, it is a blessing. It's the favor of God that we don't deserve. So this idea that it is unmerited, it is undeserved, it just simply is a gift that God gives us, this idea of grace. Now, why does he talk about grace? Why does he start with it? And then why does he end with it? Because here's the, the funny thing about the book of Philippians. He starts with grace to you and peace from Lord Jesus Christ. The very last verse of this entire book is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, think of the circumstances. Paul himself was in the need of grace. I mean, he is under house arrest in Rome. He's not able to go out and to travel and to take the gospel like we know that was his heart and his passion to do. The people at Philippi, they were being persecuted for their faith. There was difficult times. They needed grace. So when Paul here in verse 2 says, grace to you, he is not talking what we would refer to as saving grace— what he's talking about here is living grace. Saving grace is Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. It's the idea that when we were dead in our transgressions and in our sins, when we had walked away from God, that God in his infinite grace sent Jesus, who lives this perfect life, then stands in our place, hangs in our place on the cross, pays our penalty so that we could be forgiven. He dies on the cross, he's risen from the dead, and now he offers eternal life to everyone who will come to him by faith. That is saving grace. But these people weren't in need of that because they were already saved. Remember verse 1. 
bondservants. They're saints. They're holy. They've already experienced saving grace, but what they were in need of was living grace because the, the journey was tough. It was difficult. It was hard. So I was thinking about this. I couldn't help but think of Peter who a little bit later in that first century was going to write some of the believers in Asia Minor or was Turkey today who were going through difficulties and talked about living grace. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, life's tough. They were being persecuted. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, we almost have this idea sometimes that, okay, if I give my life to Christ, if I accept him as my Savior, then everything's going to be great. After that, like, you know, life is a bowl of cherries, all right? And for those of us who have done that, we made that decision to accept Christ, we realize that's not true. Life is still difficult. Life is still hard. But the great thing is now, because we are belong to Jesus and we have touched his saving grace, we now have grace to face those difficulties. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about this, that we have grace to fight difficult moments when they come into our life. And God will give us the strength to walk through. He will give us the wisdom to understand. Sometimes he gives us the faith just when we can't understand, just to continue to persevere. Sometimes he gives us the idea of of how to use that in our lives to grow us into the image of Christ. It's all part of his grace. Writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of where? Grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In those moments when life gets tough, folks, I don't know what you're going through today. You know, we all come in, we put the smiles on, but I know some of you are going through some difficult stuff. Some of you are facing some physical things. Some of you are facing some relational issues. Some of you are facing some financial stuff. Life is tough. But if you know Jesus, what I want you to understand is that there is grace for the moment. It's available to you. Now, let me do mention this. In my experience, as I've walked with the Lord, I, I, I don't think that God gives us grace ahead of time. It's just always in the moment. And that's tough in this life because we live in a world where we are driven by emotion. You know, our culture right now, it's all about emotion. I mean, emotion basically speaks truth. If you feel something, then it's truth or at least truth to you. I think it's why our political system is so polarized because it's not anymore about arguments. It's no more about trying to figure out the best path. It's just we know whatever side can gender the most emotion kind of win the argument argument. And so this emotion, so for, for us who live in this culture, it's really easy for us at times to what I would call future tripping. Do, do you know what I mean by future tripping? And that is that we can take ourselves out into the future to a possible scenario, a, a, a possible thing that will happen, and, and we begin to deal with it emotionally. And when that happens, 
you know, and again, it may or may not happen, who knows, but what that brings in our heart for most of us is anxiety. It brings worry, and we live in a culture of anxiety and worry, and most of it isn't about what's happening today. It's about what's happening or what might possibly happen in the future, and God doesn't give us grace for that, and I found that out. I, you know, I've shared my story with you a number of times, but it just, to me, it ties back into this. So I grew up in a home where my dad had uh, his first wife died of cancer. Uh, early in their marriage. And so as I grew up and I knew about that, and you thought, man, what would it be like to lose someone you love? And then when I, I fell in love and I got married, that, you know, man, my mind would kind of go, what would that be like? And I mean, the, the emotion of it was so powerful. I mean, it would often drive me to tears and I wouldn't, even, you know, then I had to put it out of my mind because I just couldn't think about it. But as you know my story, after I did fall in love and get married, four years into it, I did have to walk that same journey. Uh, in the process of my oldest son being born, um, my, my wife had complications, and I'm sitting there in this room, and he's about ready to be birthed, and she goes into convulsions. And then they are able to deliver him as they're trying to work on her, and he's not breathing. And I'm sitting there watching my entire life unravel in front of my eyes, and there's not a single thing I can do about it. By the way, good news, he's okay. He was just up here okay, so he, he was fine. But I walked through those moments, and a little bit later in that day, they ended up having to, to life flight my wife to a hospital in the bigger city. Um, because she had had a stroke. And when I got there and I met with the doctor who had run the MRI, he said, well, listen, she has had a stroke, and it is a massive stroke. She's, he said, it's really hard to tell on MRIs exactly what's been affected. He said, probably your, your best-case scenario is probably some motor skills, maybe some speech issues, maybe even personality change. But... On the other end of the spectrum, you may have to someday deal with the issue that she's brain dead. And he says, you really can't tell, but I'm going to encourage you to lean to this side because it looks like it was a massive stroke. But he said, honestly, that's not her problem at this moment. There's just so much stuff going on in her. I don't know, you know, she's going to survive this. And for the next two and a half days as I walked the halls of that hospital waiting for the Lord to take her home, there were two realities that gripped my life. Number one, when I had future tripped this earlier in my life and tried to imagine what it would be like, I realized that back then I didn't have a clue. You cannot imagine the grief, the sorrow, the sense of loss, the sense of aloneness. You, you just can't unless you walk through it. But the other thing that gripped my heart was this. The other thing I couldn't imagine when I had future tripped this in the past was, was God's grace. The fact that 
that sense of his presence unlike I had ever felt before in my life that give, gave me strength and gave me wisdom. And it just, it was the whisper in my ear. And I don't, I never heard the audible voice of God, but I knew it was the Holy Spirit as I sat there and I held her hand. And to be honest with you, with everything that had gone on, you could have gone into this, this hospital ICU unit looking for her and you wouldn't have recognized her because she, she just everything that happened, her body was so distorted. And as I sat there holding her hand, the whisper of the Holy Spirit in my heart is, Steve, you know how much you love her, but you've got to understand as much as you love her, I love her even more. And I'm taking care of her. And the grace of God, now listen, let me tell you, that means the fact that God's grace is there doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But it's there to establish and it's there to bear us up and it gives us strength. And, and now I look back and it's, it's amazing as we had our visitation and people were lined up for a couple blocks to get in. For three hours I stood at a receiving line trying to minister to people. And I had the opportunity at her funeral because so many of her family members didn't know Jesus and to stand over her casket and to share the gospel with them. That is nothing but the grace of God. And I often share with people who walk through that today, and I, I remind them that this, that in my journey, God gave me grace that seemed like in like 15-minute intervals. <laughs> if I ever started thinking beyond the next 15 minutes, man, there wasn't grace for that, but there was grace for this 15 minutes. And when I got done with that and I was ready, I was in the next 15 minutes, there was grace there and 15 minute by 15 minute, God walked me through it because he is the God of all grace. He's the God of all grace. So if I could just remind you that in this very emotional world in which we live, don't let the enemy cause you to future trip, to cause anxiety and worry because if you know Jesus, your God is there and he will give you grace for the moment. Grace for the time of need. The second provision that he gives us is peace. Grace to you and peace. This is kind of a common greeting that Paul uses. And though he uses a Greek word here, you know, you, you know Paul's background and the sense of it really, because it's really not a part of a, of a Greek greeting. It's really more the part of the, of the Jewish greeting. The idea of shalom, wholeness, wellness. That idea, if you ever go to Israel, shalom is both the greeting and the benediction when you leave. It's, it's that idea of God's tranquility being with you. And that's the heart of what he's talking about here. Grace to you and peace. And the idea of grace to you and then peace is that grace is really the causal agent of this. And again, just like he wasn't talking about saving grace, he was talking about living grace. What he's really talking about here is not peace with God or salvation. He's talking about the peace of God. The peace that we need for every day. The peace to go through the difficult times. You know, Romans 5.1 says this, 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord. That's salvation. That's a part of saving grace. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are given peace with God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. When he talks about this peace, he's talking about the peace to live. Because they already belong to Jesus. They're saints. They're the ones who are bond servants. He's talking about peace in the midst of tribulation, peace in the midst of persecution, peace in the midst of difficult times. In fact, a little bit later, this is what he's going to say. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. Folk, when you and I walk with Jesus, and the difficult times come, and we lean into Him, He gives grace, and that grace brings peace. I couldn't help but think of what Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. You remember, you remember he, he said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. We think it was a physical malady. We don't know what it was. But he says, three times I asked the Lord. I asked the Lord to remove it. And God said no. But what God provided was grace, and that grace brought peace. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God said to me, my grace is sufficient. No, I'm not going to take it away. My grace is sufficient for powers perfected in weakness. Now notice Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content peace. Well content with weakness. Well content with insults. Well content with distress. Well content with persecutions and difficulties. Why? Because I know God's grace is sufficient. And so, folks, as I mentioned before, I don't know what you may be facing today, but I do know that you have the opportunity to live with peace. Now, the truth is, is there's some of you there's some of you that your biggest struggle in your Christian life is with being anxious and worrying. It's that, it's that piece of your heart. You know, for some people, it's lust. That's what they struggle with most. And for others, it's, it's greed and wanting stuff. And for others, it's pride. But for some of you, for some of you, it's being anxious. It's worrying. You just have this propensity to future trip, and the enemy knows that, and he feeds in. And what Paul is saying to us is, don't be anxious for anything. God is the God of all grace. He will give you grace, and out of his grace comes peace. In fact, I got the coolest email last Sunday, and I wanted to share it with you. It was from, from one of a young lady in our church, and she said this, Hi, Pastor Steve, just wanted to let you know what happened to me on January 22nd, I was feeding my horse, helping out my friend, putting on her horse's blanket for her. And to my surprise, her horse kicked me in the spine. Yeah, that's exactly what I did when I was reading it. I was able to get out of the stall but could not breathe. 
I managed to get in my car to drive home. I called my sister but realized I needed to go to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, it became clear I was in big trouble because I was bleeding internally, and they had to stop it. At that time, my son showed up, and while the trauma team was waiting for the surgery to begin, I started to crash. I knew what was happening as they started to give me emergency blood. I just said to myself, Lord, if it's my time, I understand. I was calm and could just feel God there. And he took my hand, and I knew it was okay. Grace. Grace for the moment. God's presence in that moment. And what does it bring? It brings peace. You, if you know Jesus, can live in peace. Because whatever tomorrow holds, God's going to be there with you. In fact, the beauty of this passage is really found in that last phrase. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what does he provide? He provides peace, which, or he provides grace, which brings peace. But the big piece of this is the source. The source is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from him. He's the source. And because he's the source, guess what? He is infinite. Right? So whatever you're going through today, whatever difficulties his child, because he is the infinite God, he has the grace for you. Does he not? Can we not claim Paul's promise that his grace is sufficient? Yeah, because he's the source of it. In fact, there's two takeaways. Because God is the source He has a big enough supply for whatever you're going to face. Now, folk, let's be honest. For most of us, the biggest need of grace that we're going to have, the biggest need for peace is dying. Right? So let's talk real honest. As Christians, we're not afraid of death because we know we're going to go be with Jesus, right? Yeah. It's the dying part that gets us, right? You know, hey, to be with Jesus is going to be great. To how we get there, that's the part that's a little scary. Well, let's think about the grace of Jesus. God's grace is, is that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll walk us all the way home. Do you remember Psalm 23? For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. There is peace. Why? Because of his grace. Your rod and your staff that comfort me, you are with me. It's his presence. It's his presence. He'll walk us all the way home. However it is, whatever it is, when it is our time, whether it's when he returns for us at the rapture or some other way, his promise is he will walk us all the way home. And and folk, I've been way around a lot of death in my life because of what I do. And I've been there when God begins to kind of pull back the veil of heaven to those who he's ushering into his presence. I was there by sight of my wife and there's just no unconsciousness and God's spirit saying, you know what, I'm ministering to her. In fact, I kind of wonder if he didn't even actually take her home before her body died. Because for two days, I mean, there was just no sign of life. And I knew he loved her. And I kind of think she was already in his presence. And he was just kind of giving us some time to process this before that body died. We'll find out when we get there. 
But I do know that his grace for his children is that he will walk us all the way home. All the way home. And it will be a glorious day. Not a day of sorrow. So takeaway number one is, because God is the source, he's big enough for grace for whatever you're facing today. Peace for whatever you're facing today. The second takeaway is that because God's the source, we got to be reminded that it's experienced in his person. This is about relationship. This is why we often talk about, we're not, we're not talking religion here. This isn't about doing good deeds in order to, you know, somehow get God to smile. This is about relationship. Eternal life is to know you, the Father, and to know your Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 17. It's about knowing Him because here's the thing. God is the God of all grace. That's who he is. It's not like we sometimes get the idea that God, you know, creates grace and gives it to us. And and that's not true. God is the God of all grace. So really, when I talk about the fact that he will minister grace to us, whatever our difficulty, whatever we're going through, it's really just the essence of his person. And he begins to reveal he, he begins to let us touch depths of him that we hadn't experienced before. So I hope you're reading through the Bible this year. Tammy and I are. We were just in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, if, if you remember, uh, the people have already rebelled against God and God's kind of fed up with them. And, and Moses says, listen, you can't, you have got to go with us. And ultimately he asked, Lord, I want to see your glory. Do you remember that? Exodus 33. And God says, well, you can't see me face to face because it will be too much for you and you'll die. But I'll let you see my backside and I will give you my name as I pass by. So up on Mount Sinai, he hides him in the clasp of the rock. And then God passes by. And as he passes by, the very essence of his character is shouted out. And here's what it says. Then the Lord passed by in front of him proclaiming, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Now think about it. Moses tells us that as though it is a voice. And I'm sure it probably was. But that's the essence of who God was. And what I'm going to argue with you is is that that was the feeling. That was the emotion. That is what Moses touched and felt was the very essence of God from which his grace comes. So that when he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing. Do you remember, remember Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a hill? And he's transfigured. He, he begins to glow in his, the glory of his radiance. And Moses and Elijah show up. Now, it's an it's a interesting question. Did Jesus change up when he was up on the hill? Did he become more than what he had been? And the answer to that theologically is no. Jesus was altogether God. 
He's always been God. He became man. So he, he veiled himself in humanity to become one of us. But on the mountainside, he didn't become more than what he had been. All he did was he pulled back the veil. And Peter and James and John got to experience just a little bit more of him than they'd ever been able to experience before. And you remember what Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And my idea is the reason it's good, Lord, is not so much that you turned all white, not even the Moses and Elijah is here, but now they are touching his glory, the essence of who he is, his compassion, his kindness, and his grace. And why in the world would you want to leave that? And that's exactly what Jesus does. When you go through difficult times and you lean into him, he just, he just, pulls back a little bit of the veil. He lets you begin to touch some parts of him that that you didn't even know. But one day we're going to get to see. See, we're all, you know, like I say, we're all excited to get to heaven. It's just the getting there part that we're not so excited about. But we're all excited to be there. And we read about heaven and we get so caught up with the sights, you know, the, the beauty, the color, the, the rainbow wrapped around his shoulders, the streets that are so pure gold that they're, they're translucent. We think about the sound, the, the voice of God, the sound of the rushing of many waters. And, but think about it. It's easy to describe color. It's easy to describe sound. It's hard to describe emotion and feeling but in that day i think the thing that is going to be most surprising to the children of god and you heard it here first just remember that (laughs) is not going to be the color it's not going to be the sound but is that we are now in the very presence of the god who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And that emotion, that feel, that sense of his glory. In fact, you get to Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. And I think John tries to describe it because he says, I heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will what? Dwell among them. They will be his people and God himself. What John is trying to remind us there is that it's going to be, we are going to be with God. And then what does he say? He'll wipe away every tear because in the presence of the one who is all compassion and gracious, God, there is no sadness. There is no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We are going to dwell in the very presence of our God. And that God today for his children has the grace for whatever you need. If you will lean into him, instead of getting mad at God and turning and trying to figure it out on your own and going your way, if you will seek him, if you will turn to him, he will will give you the grace that you need in the time of trouble. That's That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we have boldness to approach the throne of grace. Because God will provide that grace.